millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode is brought to you by Yumiko. Yumiko just released a multicolor plus black and white collection of leotards. Pieces feature intricate designs that can include different colors within the same panel, alternating velvet and nylon trims on different sides of the body, as well as multiple fabrics and colors on straps and necklines. Stand out in class and rehearsals with these beautiful designs that are like nothing you have ever seen before. We invite you to see these new items in person at the Yumiko store in New York City. And on December 8th, you can come see us too. We will be recording a live podcast on Saturday, December 8th at 4 p.m. at Yumiko's New York flagship boutique with special guest Juliet Doherty, star of the movie On Point. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more information coming soon about our live podcast on Saturday, December 8th at 4 p.m. And in the meantime, explore all of Yumiko's beautiful and personalized dancewear at yumiko.com. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by Miami City Ballet dancer Eric Trope. While so much attention is understandably given to the physical health of dancers, Eric has been an outspoken advocate for supporting the mental health of dancers to the same extent. In this episode, we cover the difficulty of performing anxiety, dealing with body shaming, and what can be done both individually and as a community to improve the mental health of our artists. Eric! We're live at the Kravis Center. Hi. With Eric Trope. In West Palm Beach with Eric Trope. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Biggest post, fan. Post, oh my God. Uh, post Company B triumph. It was so great. Thanks, Eric did, did Company B today, slayed it. Thanks. It was so great. So fun to watch. <laughs> special to have you guys here. <laughs> it was so fun. Well, we're so glad that you listened to our podcast, first of all. I do. But also that you're here with us now and on the podcast. So we're glad to talk to you today. So Eric, okay. you've written previously for our accompanying blog, and so we kind of wanted to expand that into a broader conversation. But uh, let's start with a little bit about you personally. Where did you receive your initial training, and how did those years shape you? Um, so <clears throat> I originally was a bit of a jazz arena, um, 
Yeah. Uh, I actually was, well, I was into, I, I would watch like old m- musicals with Fred Astaire and, um, and I don't know. Gene Kelly. Yeah, Gene Kelly. And uh, so I was, I really wanted to be sort of like a tap dancer slash actor when I was mm. a, a child and I was sort of obnoxious and like would run around the house. And so I got into acting classes and then that kind of led to movement classes. And then um, in, it wasn't until middle school that um, I had a jazz teacher tell me I should do ballet and I didn't want to. Um, and they were like, well, we'll give you a full scholarship mm-hmm. if you if you take ballet. So my mom was like, you're doing it. <laughs> um, and so <clears throat> I didn't really do um, ballet till like seventh grade. Mm-hmm. So a little late. <clears throat> and then two years in, I was kind of at a more uh, Dolly Dinkle studio, more focused on uh, contemporary and jazz. Mm-hmm. And so then in ninth grade, I entered the uh, Maryland Youth Ballet, which like other guests, Daniel Applebaum, mm-hmm. friend of the pod. <laughs> um, I know the lingo. Julie, um, Julie Kent. Julie right? Kent. Julie Kent's mother still teaches there. Uh-huh. Um, so I, in the start of my freshman year, I, um, I started at MYB, mm-hmm. and then um, I went to a summer program at School of American Ballet, and then end of my tenth uh, grade year of high school, I moved to New York, and I started at SAB for. Three years, mm-hmm. um, yeah. What was your time like at SAB? What was what was it like growing up oh. um, at, at the school in New York? Um, SAB was a, an incredible experience for me. I mean, like I had never really been exposed to balancing works before. Um, it really was what shaped me as um, a dancer. It, I met like lifelong friends that I am still uh, very close with. Um, I really found my love for for ballet and for what I for the ballets I still currently do. That love was shaped and and formed um, when I was sixteen at that time. But um, it definitely came with its realities. Um, I was a bit. I felt in Maryland, of course, you're you're kind of a big fish in a small pond, and. Um, and I definitely had a bit of a, I, I, I had a a hard time. Um, I was, I had only maybe two other boys in my studio and I was starting into a class of like, uh, 15 other boys. And I was taking, uh, two levels at the time. They, they felt like, um, some of the guys that maybe needed like extra classes should take both, uh, men one and men two. Mm -hmm. So I was really busy. Um, and I was just kind of, I just, I was thrown in the deep end mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and it was a technique I, I didn't know that well. And it was, um, it was just all very new to me. Mm-hmm. It was rewarding and it's made me into the dancer I am today a hundred percent. But it was also um, a time when maybe I, I first started to encounter um, some realities of the dance world that maybe I hadn't um, fully understood uh, before I went to SAB. You want to delve into that a little deeper? <laughs> oh, um, sure. I mean, I think it's not um, a, a surprise that um, at SAB there are uh, sort of the top of the class that's very much uh, favored and sort of um, the people they're really grooming to get into New York City Ballet. And then um, I, I, you, you kind of know where you fall. Right. Not that you feel... Um, 
it's you don't feel devalued or underappreciated, but you definitely know sort of where you stand. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just I sort of right away knew that I that the company wasn't going to be probably an option mm -hmm. for me. It was really when I just I started becoming very insecure. I started really comparing myself to the guys in my class, not thinking that I was strong enough or good enough. Um, and and they were and in the beginning, I did feel like they um, pushed me. And uh, I think ultimately, it's what I needed in the end. But mentally, I did struggle with the amount of workload I was doing and the um, amount of pressure I felt to to improve and to get better and to get stronger. I was really um, I was really thin. Um, they tight teachers telling me to to go to the gym and so i they were you know they were trying to make me into the to the dancer i am today but um i definitely um had to work through uh some of those issues that i hadn't before did you feel like you didn't have the mental tools uh available to you that would have better allowed you to um move in the directions they were trying to push you I think um I think that's a big part of it. I think I didn't um I I wasn't I didn't have the confidence in my abilities mm -hmm. um to feel like I um would succeed. Mm -hmm. And so I remember leaving the school my last year feeling like I love ballet. I love um, Balancing, I love going to see New York City Ballet. I, mm -hmm. I, my heart is really in this, but I don't know that I can do this professionally. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm strong enough for it, that I have thick enough skin. I felt um, like I, I really considered going to, to college because I felt like maybe, um, maybe I wasn't cut out for this mm -hmm. profession because I just felt like I'm, I was like, you're the lower end of your class. Um, you're going to have a hard time finding a job, um, which I sort of did. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and so I, I, yeah, so there was just a lot of doubt and insecurities that this was something that was meant was something that I dance was always something that I loved that mm -hmm. I felt was going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. And I'm lucky that it still is a, a, such a huge part, but there was that those moments where, where I thought, you know, maybe this is the end of the road and you've come as far as you can and, and uh, being a professional ballet dancer really just isn't in the cards for you. So how did that switch and then you did end up um, becoming a professional and getting your first job? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll just lay it all out mm -hmm. because yeah, um, let's do no it. shame in the game. Um, I um, uh, wound up doing like 20 cattle calls that <laughs> year um, because they encourage everyone to just go to every audition. And I ultimately, I went to a Pennsylvania Ballet audition and I was cut after bar. Um, do you know this story? Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was cut after bar. Um, I was also like, I, I kind of like uh, matured a little later. So I was, I was really skinny and like, I could see that I felt like some companies just were like, oh, he's not like ready for a company. Right. And so I would get cut kind of early on. Um, after you pay like twenty five dollars to mm -hmm. take your class, uh, of course. Um, and so I got cut after bar, and then the season ended, and I was tentatively. Um, I had a few options. Um, one of them was LA Ballet. Um, another was um, Ballet West. Um, I wound up getting a call 
after SAB had ended and they didn't have any boys for their second company. And so um, they called me in. I went and took company class after SAB had already finished. Mm-hmm. Um, took one company class and Bill DeGregory, who was the director of the second company at the time, said, uh, we need a, a boy, so you're in. And mm-hmm. so I signed a contract like that day mm-hmm. and um, started with uh, Pennsylvania Valley's second company in the fall of that year. And how was that for you to find that yeah. gratification knowing you could make it? In the yeah, field? it was exciting um, because Pennsylvania Valley was somewhere that I felt was a little more uh, prestigious and like somewhere I hadn't since I got cut. I wasn't sure that it was like really an option for me. Um, so I, it was exciting. But then also the second company is a difficult environment. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily know that that would lead to a company job. Um, you're making $250 a week. Um, and then we would do like, that was when their outreach program was like really intense. So we would do like 30 to 40, um, performances at like middle schools and high schools and elementary schools all around, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was like an intense, uh, two years to, I mean, ultimately, I think looking back was maybe the best way for me to enter a company because mm-hmm. I didn't feel the pressure of being in the core of ballet. Like I know a lot of people just start an apprenticeship or enter um, the core at 18 or 19, but I felt like I needed the time mm-hmm. to um, fully understand what life in a ballet company would be like. I think I got a lot stronger. Um, we kind of did our own reps. So then I could still work on, mm-hmm. you know, partnering and technique and, um, but at times it was, I mean, that was, that would get discouraging too. I remember I was, I, I was either in the second company or maybe because after you do the second company, you get an apprenticeship, right? Mm-hmm. You're not in the core yet. And so I was probably, I left SAB at 19. So it was already a little older. Um, so then I did, I think I maybe was 22 when I was an apprentice and I went back to see one of my best friends, um, Taylor Stanley, and he was debuting as Romeo. In, in New York City. Romeo and Juliet at New York City Valley. <laughs> and I remember, I I can't remember if I was in the second coming or an apprentice, but I had not yet made it uh-huh. to the court of ballet. And I just like remember I went back and I, I mean, he was incredible and I was yeah. so proud, but I remember being like, well, this is okay. a different path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, slow route. Uh-huh. Um, but um, yeah, so that had... Um, it's moments too, but I think it was, it was good for me to, it, I started building mm-hmm. some confidence and, um, and, uh, I think by the time I got my apprenticeship, I felt ready right. for the, for the company. And then once I got to the core, then I felt, and then, you know, and then in there we did a lot, the core was very busy. So my first core year I was doing square dance and, um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, I, I felt like prepared mm-hmm. and I was, you know, 23 or 22, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd spent the time feeling right like that was what i needed in the second company were you also dancing with the main company as well you did some of um yes so we would do the full lengths mostly um and nutcracker um we did i think we did romeo and julia i did the the beggar um yeah and um i think i did uh not capelia oh la female garde Um, so yeah, none of the, like, none of the specialized rep, but they included us in all the, in all the big productions. What do you think can be done to help young dancers in that adjustment period? Because it, 
when you're in that moment, it does feel terrifying. Like, yes. okay, I've done two years of a second company, and yes. then what? I have to do an apprenticeship, and then what? And right. then I may not even get it. How can um, companies better help people through this? It's easy once you're on the other side right. to say, like, oh, that worked out. Right. I did three years as well. I did a yeah. second company, and then I did an apprenticeship, and then I did this um, position that no longer exists called Corfe. Wow. Um, so yeah. we, I did the three year yeah. haul. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think as a dancer, I think if that's the reality where that ballet companies mm-hmm. are going to present to us, um, I think the best thing you can really do is not be in a rush. And I know that is like the worst. I mean, when you're young, it's like you, especially if you feel, I maybe necessarily didn't always feel ready, but if you're like ready to be in a ballet company and someone's saying like, you've got to hang out in the second company for two years, it's challenging. But I think also just knowing that if you put in the work, you show the initiative, Mm -hmm. they will hopefully notice and find that spot in the company for you and when you get to the company you're going to feel all the more prepared all the more excited all the more ready for that chance and i think i and like i said i it was easy for me to compare to friends but i also had to to really tell myself that it was okay Mm -hmm. that if this is the path that it took me to get to being a professional then this was the path and if it took me a year or two longer than some of my friends, um, then that was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I, I see so many people who got into um, companies at 17 or 18 and and burnt out and right. wound up leaving or quitting or um, and so breaks, taking breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, in a way, I, I feel like it did give me a foundation of like, oh, you really want this. If you're going to mm-hmm. stick with it right. for three years at no pay and and doing, you know, it's like you, you by the time you get there, you're like, well, I've put in the work and mm-hmm. I must this must be something important to me or, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a couple things, too, in terms of like when I did my apprenticeship year, yeah. I felt like. I wasn't as strong in class. So I felt like on stage was like kind of my moment. And I feel like you have such a great stage presence that for companies to be able to see you in that light, Mm -hmm. it's another way to audition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And for, for sure, when I was doing all these open calls, I was like, Oh, this to just be judged on my, on my bar and my ballet class. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, you try, but it's, it's, you want to develop. Right. Right. So, Yeah. Every year, the Dance Magazine Awards bring stunning moments of artistry and poignant speeches from the awardees. This year, on December 3rd, Dance Magazine honors Lourdes Lopez, Crystal Pite, Michael Trusnevik, and Ronald K. Brown, while Misty Copeland will be welcoming the guests. In addition, two Harkness Promise Awards and the first-ever Leadership Award will be given out as well. For tickets to this uplifting evening, go to dancemagazine.com and click on Dance Magazine Awards. The awards will be held at the Ailey City Group Theater in New York City. So there are certain inescapable realities in ballet. Um, like, for instance, sometimes programming isn't going to work out to right. get everyone on stage. Right. Or, um, I mean, you also just have, you know, natural favoritism coming from your director sure, sure. Um, or not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what right, what right. can dancers do to avoid tying their self-worth to um, 
that idea entirely. Yeah. Um, so this, yeah, this is, this is a hard one for anyone, but I do, I think that with over the years, over my time in companies, I have had to figure out how to get back to, it's going to sound maybe trite or corny, but, um, just how to just to get back to myself and like why I'm here, why I love what I do. And if I have a few programs where I'm maybe not so happy with what I'm dancing, like I really try and find like I'll go into a studio and I'll I'll because I choreograph and I'll I'll improv or I'm me and you used to do this. We used to go into a studio and like work on variations stuff, and yeah. Yeah, I mean Ooh, we did Giselle one time. God, that, that was so good. There's a video of that somewhere. Of We're gonna put that on the back. Check out Giselle. <laughs> um, um, no, yeah. So I think I'm, I'm still dealing with it with this, and I think every dancer deals with this their whole career. But it, I think it took me a long, long time for me to really not um, wrap myself up in um, what everyone else was uh, thinking about my dancing, especially the artistic staff, but even dancers. And you know, you, um, I wound up going on stage feeling not myself mm-hmm. because I would feel so concerned about what someone in the audience was thinking of me or um, so worried that I was going to um, screw up and that was going to affect my casting or um, I just was like such a ball of uh, anxiety mm-hmm. and it really was tied to um, sort of my confidence level and um, and then and and the, I, even for core stuff, I would get like really worked up, and and then when something featured would come, it would be like terrifying, you know, terrifying because I would just be in this like complete like you know emotional place where I couldn't control my nerves, and I would um, be like talking, it'd be like you don't have to go on stage right now, you know, like just a really crazy yeah. place. And I I've over the time I just I really had to um, kind of do some soul searching a bit with my career and and just try and really get back to a neutral place of like um it is really special that i get to do this for a living Mm -hmm. and i'm not always going to be happy i'm not always i'm going to be tired i'm going to you know you're but uh, at the end of the day if i can really just try and um cherish the moments i do have um no matter how big or small um and 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 really just kind of like at this point, I really try not to to care what anyone is, is mm-hmm. going to be thinking because I it's like I'm really I'm just going to do the best I can do, and if someone didn't like it, then that's I mean, what that's can I them. do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I I think that over time I've uh, more and more I feel um more grounded and more comfortable with my dancing and what I have to offer, and um and I feel like it. Um, shows on stage and I and I I and yeah I, I think it's just been a, a process to sort of get to that place mentally so funny you're rem- reminding me of a story I feel like at one point we were doing some performance and there was something that happened yeah. and it was like all the artistic staff had to be dealing with a drama right. like during the show I yeah. don't remember what this was and Suddenly, I was just like on stage feeling like so free and amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is so free. And I was like, this is stupid. There's thousands right. of people yeah. out there. It's just because <laughs> three people right. are missing. You right. don't care anymore. Right, right. 
but why? Right. You know, it's just yeah. we're and they're not necessarily watching me in the back of the no, court. Like it's not no. even about mm-hmm. that. It's just right. like you put into your mind right. this totally. like theory of how people are thinking of you. And it's like if yeah. mm-hmm. if you can find and it's easier said than done to yeah. find a way to release it and let it go, but yeah. it can be change mm-hmm. like life altering. Oh yeah. Did you have experiences in particular that you felt helped let you help you let go of anxieties like that? Um I kind of I kind of felt like I hit like a breaking point. I just I got to a point here actually. I was dancing Miami City Ballet and you know I think those feelings come and go in waves, but I I had one season here where I just um I felt just very uh in my head mm-hmm. and I was and it wasn't just you know just work, but I think just in life I was feeling um mm-hmm. very in my head um and dealing with a lot of um anxiety and i um i just hit a point where i was like you can't keep doing this mm-hmm. i just remember uh um we were doing glass pieces and um i was on stage and i was like telling myself that i was going to screw up steps before i even got to them mm-hmm. like not even like oh like think about that step it was mm-hmm. like oh you're going to fall over in that grand plie in 5 seconds like i was just like <laughs> literally sabotaging right. yourself my performances yeah. and then i'd be like just enjoy this you're not enjoying it why are you enjoying this this is what you love you don't love it's it was just really crazy mental like roller coasters um spe- and i think like anything you're dealing with in your life i think it's um sort of uh emphasized on stage mm-hmm. on stage like in a or in a performance right. because all of a sudden it's like you cannot escape yourself mm-hmm. like you can if you're at home and you like you're having like some bad thoughts about yourself or like some self-worth issues you can like pull out instagram and, right like, just like turn on the or, tv yeah, or, watch yeah. netflix like you're you just kind of can move away from those things but the second i got on stage all of a sudden i was like you're really not being nice to yourself you're not like you're 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 judging yourself so harshly mm-hmm. more harshly than anyone around you is judging you mm-hmm. and you're ruining things that you should be loving and enjoying. And so I got to a point in that season. um, And so I just was like, I'm going to, I need to like, I need to actually like, first of all, admit to myself that this is like a a problem Mm -hmm. because I think so often with things like mental health, everyone's just like, you you'll get over it like mm-hmm. just it, it's a bad day it's a bad week it's a bad month but then it's like you know you're having a bad three months and yeah it's like no this is like i need and and i also think it's um i mean this is just for me personally but it doesn't have to be for me it was kind of sudden like i had always like been a bit of an anxious person i always been nervous but i had never like had this like full-blown like mm-hmm. i really can't control my thoughts right and so um yeah, so I got to a point and um I started like I started just talking to some friends about how mm-hmm. I was feeling. I started talking to family. Um I and um I got in to see a therapist who I still see mm-hmm. pretty regularly now. Um and I just started trying to really do things that were nice to myself and yeah. like and and um yeah, and so at that point I that was I felt like I just kind of hit a, a rock bottom where I was just like I'm not I'm really ruining ballet for mm-hmm. myself and I um I felt like there had to be a, a turnaround and so um yeah, and I I think that I think I had to hit that place mm-hmm. to understand 
mentally how I would move forward and mm -hmm. how when and and uh, learning how to have positive mm -hmm. self talk, as corny mm -hmm. as it sounds, and no, um, learning to 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 approach performances in a completely different way, or mm -hmm. you know. Um, the therapist that you were seeing, did you was it important to you that you found someone who understood dance, performance, sports, maybe, and that's different kind of anxiety? Yeah. So he, I had seen like a, f I had never been to therapy in my life, but around that time I did kind of shop around and I did finally feel like I met someone that really understood um, me and where my anxiety was coming from. And he was familiar with performance and sports, uh, it's so different psychology, than, yeah. totally. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so he would, you know, we would just, I mean, it's, it's so funny with the, the thing I think I realized with therapy is that like, as much as you think that you're being open and honest with your friends about how you're feeling, mm -hmm. you, there's always some, um, sort of filter and that you don't even realize mentally that you're putting on, but maybe you just want them to think of you in a slightly different way than how you're actually feeling or a little bit more put together or a little, or, and so it, the, I think once I got into that room for an hour and was just able to really like say like, this is what I was feeling on stage. And I, it, I feel crazy about it. Like, mm -hmm. can we talk about it? Yeah. And uh, I think that made a big a big difference for me and just realizing that also and at the end of the day it is silly like it is a it, like once i i had to it doesn't feel silly at the time mm -hmm. but when you're when you're in it but i think therapy was a big tool for me to be able to recognize the 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 patterns i was putting myself in and and realizing that ultimately they weren't serving me in in any way mm -hmm. just like wasted energy yeah 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 so uh you worked with peter frame on yeah. the um male solo in george balanchine's episode that was originally choreographed for paul taylor how did that experience um sort of help you deal with some of these issues at, at that point you were not dancing a lot yeah so to have this huge opportunity contrasted, it clearly brought up some of those the stress issues that we've talked yeah. about. But what did what was your experience like with Peter Frame that that and how did that frame this idea? Sure. Um, so that was my first year with uh, Miami City Ballet. Um, Peter Frame came down and set. Um, I guess for people who don't know, it's an eight minute um, solo that was choreographed by Balanchine on Paul Taylor. Um, and then was omitted from the ballet and then brought back um, at New York City Ballet for uh, Peter Frame. Mm -hmm. That was an incredibly special experience. I mean, Peter Frame was um, just in incredibly giving and kind and just knew what you needed when you needed it. And um, some, I just will always cherish my time working with him on this solo. Um, and something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is that the solo really, um, it's, it's dark. I mean, he's, he's, uh, the, the solo man is out in a spotlight for eight minutes. Um, and Balanchine described it as a fly trapped in a glass of milk. Um, and, um, and I think Peter really, um, as we know, like Peter must've had sort of his own demons and I, he, I, you know, you could tell how strongly he related to this solo and how much it meant to him, how much he loved it. Um, and in a way, for, I don't, I felt similarly about this solo because I think that I felt 
like I was able to pour a lot of my mm-hmm. um, things that I had struggled with um, mentally into this eight minute mm-hmm. uh, piece. And so um, he, I mean, he's kind of the, the, it's in bare feet and he's really like the guy's really thrashing around and he's rolling around on the floor and he's always trying to like escape his own torment mm-hmm. sort of. And, um, he, there's, there's a, like a four minute, um, section and then at the re- section repeats itself and it kind of just gets like more intense and more, um, uh, strange. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's almost like he's just trying to like escape himself in a way. And I've been thinking a lot about how, why I connected so strongly to it and, and maybe also why Peter, um, connected to it. And, um, at the time, I don't know that I, um, had thought about that. Mm -hmm. And then until his, um, recent passing, I, um, I kind of realized like maybe that's why this was such an important, um, part of his, of his career and, and, and part of his soul. Right. And, um, yeah, and it, and and I just adored him, and um, I think everyone that met him yeah. did. And um, he, you know, just such a gentle, um, gentle human being, and just wanted to bring out the best in in everyone around him. Mm-hmm. And I think it's those moments in this career that you really get to to think back and and be like, wow, this has really been mm-hmm. worth it. Like, you know, there there's a lot of bad days and aches and pains, but like I got to sit and work with this man who um, understood this part so beautifully and understood um, me and what I needed. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that will always um, be an incredibly special, special opportunity for me. And one that I never thought I'd get. I Mm -hmm. mean, I I didn't find out till, um, like two a week and a half, two weeks before the yeah. show that I was going to get to do it. So, Eric wrote a really beautiful um, article for us on our blog about that experience. So we hope everybody will go and check that out. It's on our website now. So mm-hmm. yeah. So with Peter and the roles originator um, Paul Taylor now um, both having passed on, you are one of a handful of dancers who ha- really has the information from a personal um, place. Um, and it's a very unique part of the Balanchine legacy. What does that, uh, f- what does that mean to you? What does that responsibility uh, yeah. feel like? I was actually talking to your husband, Neil, because Neil um, Marshall also uh, danced uh, this solo as, as well as um, my friend, uh, Giovanni uh, Ferlin. Um I, we were all texting and we, we want to get together at some point and try and um, just write down things that we remember, little yeah. like mm-hmm. corrections and um, uh, little uh, metaphors he would give mm-hmm. us because it is really, cr- I mean, how it's just so rare to be like one of three people that now perform this, this right. iconic Balanchine work and, um, and, learned it from someone who learned it from Paul Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we do, we keep saying like, we need to get together and we're going to, and, and so, yeah, I feel like there is an, a responsibility in a way um, to hopefully carry on what was passed on to us um, 
about the solo and um, I hope it gets continued to be performed because so amazing. it's really just this incredible and completely unique in the room. Unique. Yeah. 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 And also just, I've never, I mean, episodes as a whole is a really unique ballet for Balanchine, but I've like that solo in specific, maybe because it wasn't made on a New York city ballet dancer um, is, feels very like out of character sort yeah. of for Balanchine and, yeah. and very, um, I don't, yeah. I mean, there's a few ballets in bare feet when I think about it, but mm. you know, it's, 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 uh, very modern, right. yeah. very modern for, yeah. for him. Yeah. So just to wrap up, how do you think that we can move forward as a whole to address dancers, uh, mental health issues and how dancers see themselves? I feel like, um, I, I would, I wish that, um, and part of the reason I, really wanted to do this um, podcast with you guys was because I do think that the more that people um, talk about um, their own mental health issues, mm -hmm. the more it becomes not so strange because right. I don't normal. think yeah. it's strange. I think we all deal with those thoughts. Just some people deal with them on a more extreme level than yeah. others. And some people are able to like kind of stick them in a back drawer and like only deal with them once in a while and other people it's every day. And mm -hmm. so, um, for me, when I hear like other dancers, other performers kind of like coming out and saying that they also deal with, um, whatever it may be, depression or anxiety or any sort of, uh, form of, of, um, mental health issue, it, it comforts me because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, well, if they, if they can do it and, and they, you know, I wouldn't, I go see their performance. I would never know that mm -hmm. this is something they deal with. Then. Um, then maybe I can as well. And um, I um, I did an interview recently um, with the Biscuit Ballerina, who's also a friend of the pod. He is. Um, he listen to all and, episodes. Yeah, yeah, listen to all of them. Um, <laughs> and um, she just, um, I had met her a long time ago, and she she's kind of trying to expose some more of the realities of mm -hmm. uh, dancing in a ballet company. And she asked me to... Um, to write just to uh, answer some questions and um, I didn't really think anything of it and I uh, posted it um, on social media and I had so many people write to me saying how they um, felt felt how I felt or mm -hmm. felt a way that I felt or and um, people I wouldn't expect people in this company who I wouldn't expect came mm -hmm. up to me in class and said like I read it and I really I experienced those things and mm -hmm. I would have never known and we've danced next to each other for six years could have been helping each other yeah. through yeah. <laughs> so um I I think going forward I think and I I think if com companies um would address um, these issues a bit more. I know that that's not necessarily protocol, but I do think um, just telling people that the company supports them, that they that they want to help them maybe get access to mm -hmm. um, either mental therapy or um, or have seminars with mm -hmm. um, uh, sports psychologists, or um, I do think companies can um, sort of move forward and i think there's a lot more discussion in our society um now and i think ballet companies can sort of follow that trend um i would hope in the future and i think there is progress i right. think um more is being done than it was in the past um but i think the more that um people really kind of start to open up about their experiences um 
as a whole, as a community, I think that it's um, needed. And I think it's really valued by the community at large. And I think companies should look at it as an investment in the future of the right. company. Yeah. The product is the dancers. Yeah. If they can get a better product, yeah. get more from their dancers. Yeah. Right. Right. Know, it's something worth considering right. to invest in. Right. Yeah. And how, I mean, it's like a lot of people leave the companies because of injuries, but a lot of people leave companies because right. it becomes overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, in just the same way that uh, injury can diminish performance yes. and like a mental block. Completely. So. Completely. So I, I would hope, yeah, I think it would, I think it would value companies to, to work on these things. Well, you know, you're not getting out of here without a lightning Light round. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Try first, to be quick. Okay. First one is your dream role. Ah, dream role. Um, oh, this is hard. I, w- well, I would love to do, uh, I'm putting this out in the universe. I would love mm-hmm. to do phlegmatic and four temperaments mm-hmm. and I'm learning it this year. So we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. But I, it's, that's like, I've watched that ballet a thousand times mm-hmm. and um, right. it's one of my favorite, favorite um, parts. I think it's just so beautiful and Everybody we'll be here we'll i be would here. i would i would love to yeah, do we'll that so we'll see we'll see <laughs> uh, fingers what's, crossed what's your favorite onstage moment um probably um when i got to sing as riff mm-hmm. yeah because i was always told when i was younger that i had like a terrible voice <laughs> and um and so another thing i overcame mm-hmm. but i like i um really like i spent like a year like i had a feeling I was going to get to this part. And so I really invested in voice lessons and like, I felt like I really like worked up to that moment. Mm -hmm. Thanks. And so that was, I, yeah, to get to sing on stage, it's such a bizarre and odd thing. I never thought I'd get to do. So Mm -hmm. where were we were, we were in Vail and we were like reviewing West Side Story, uh-huh, right? Yeah. Because we had to do like a little uh-huh. ditty. Showed, yeah. So we we're like, okay, let's learn the choreography. And uh-huh. then we we're like, let's watch Eric for a second. And then we were just like loving it. It was so fun. Um, oh, it's my turn. Uh, dancer you most admire. Oh my gosh. Well, I really miss watching you guys. Dance. Oh my God, please. Um, no, I really do. Wrong. <laughs> no, no. For it's anyone sweet. that like, you know, Rebecca and Michael were really special dancers and I do miss them every day. Um, And also just in this company, like um, I'm surrounded by so many, um, the Delgados uh, are just not human and um, the most beautiful humans, dancers and uh, Trisha Albertson, one of my very close friends is I, yeah, incredible. And Renan and uh, I mean, I could name a million um, pe- Nicole Stocker, I love. Yeah, throw it out there, Nicole. Like say every day with the mm-hmm. company. No, but I, I do get to watch and dance next to so many inspiring dancers in this company. That's true. If you could change one thing about ballet, what would it be? Oh, that's this is lightning Deep. round. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, change one thing. Um. Probably the body shaming and I had a feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just because I haven't dealt with it in like extreme form, but because I'm a man and we don't have to like in like. But I just when I see women dealing with that, I just wish it was dealt with um, uh, in a more healthy way, and I wish that um, I just wish they didn't have to deal with it. But I wish that if if it's gonna obviously if 
ballet is an athletic art form and like if it's going to be an issue i i would hope i i want to see that um the the dialogue around that change eric 2020 oh. thanks eric God. thank you eric thank you thank you so much thank you for having me thank you for coming on Thank you for joining us this week. We are excited to announce that you can now listen to Conversations on Dance on Spotify, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or through our website at conversationsondancepod.com. Subscribe now to receive notifications of new episodes. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Conversations on Dance. See you next week. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.